Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Hi, this is Kim from the Wingate in Missoula. If you need a break from the everyday same old, same old, we want to be your home away from home. With comfortable rooms, a great breakfast, and a super fun indoor water park, the Wingate of Missoula is the ideal place for a quick getaway without having to go away. Let us give your family a little quality time together or ask us about our birthday parties. Work like an adult, play like a child, and sleep like a baby at the Wingate of Missoula. Hope you're having a great Friday. Hope you have a great weekend planned as well. I'll be checking out the Grizz men's basketball game tomorrow myself. Tip off at noon uh, here in Missoula. Listen to Nuanez now, 1029 ESPN Missoula, as well as statewide on SWX Montana Television. If you missed anything in the first hour of the show, you can always check it out on our podcast. The Nuanez Now podcast can be found by just searching Nuanez Now or by visiting our station website, 1029ESPN.com. There you can click on the podcast tab. That'll lead you to the Nuanas Now tab, as well as uh, Grizz Greats, the coaching tree, Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, and a variety of other great sports-related podcasts. The Nuanas Now podcast is proudly presented by the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel, as well as Blackfoot Communications. It's that time again for your favorite segment of the week. There's a chick who doesn't know sports with our good friend Carolyn. It's been a very female-heavy show this week. We've had all sorts of female guests on the show, and it's been quite wonderful. This is our favorite female guest, and uh, she's back in action as she is every single Friday right here on Nuanez Now. Carolyn, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing phenomenal. <laughs> What's going on in your world? Well, you know what? Am I going to win this raffle? Yes. Did we you get it. your tickets? Not yet. I, oh, I left them on your desk. Oh, I haven't been in my office okay. in weeks. Okay. Well, they're over <laughs> there. Um, since you started on the female thing, I think I'll I'll change my first story to this one. This week, ESR own ESPN yeah. posted a picture of the greatest of all times athletes, and it was a painting. Yep. And it showcased a bunch of athletes. Yep. And goats, because, right. you know, goat. Sure. Which I just learned what that meant like six months ago. Sure. Anyway, not a, not a female on there. Right. Okay. And Who was um, in the picture? I haven't seen this Jordan, yet. Jordan, 
Michael Jordan, okay. Brady. Tom Brady, okay. Um, you don't even know. Some other guys. Let me see it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're looking at the picture. This is great live radio. Uh, LeBron James. LeBron. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Muhammad Ali, Floyd Mayweather Jr., and uh, Tiger Woods. Looks like there's a couple goats in there, too. Right, because uh, it's goats. There's someone back there. Uh, Messi, Lionel Messi's in here. Uh, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer. Okay, my point is, have okay. you named a female? I have not named right. any females. Now, allegedly, Serena Williams is in the way back, but nobody okay. can tell. Sure. So, Simone Biles called him out. Yep. Because she's a goat. She's gr- she is absolutely um, a goat. ESPN took down the picture and... Basically never spoke of it again, except it went all over the internet. So I have a question about Simone Miles. Yeah. There's been um, many. I, I would say that the, the women's gold medalist gymna- gymnasts are among the pioneers in terms of female athletes winning over the hearts of America and the world, right? Right. I mean, Title IX was only 1972, so not even really that long ago when women first truly got to participate in sports on a you know, quote-unquote equal level. It was certainly not the equality that we experience now, the first, you know, probably generation. But in terms of, you know, just the, the modern history of women's sports, it's it's truly less than 50 years old, really. Yeah. But the most beloved women athletes, I feel like, initially were the gymnasts. Nadia. Nadia Comaneci. Mary Lou Retton. Mary Lou Retton, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Carrie Shrug. Yeah, I was going to say that little girl who b- broke, broke her, her knee, foot, leg, yeah, and whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of great... Yeah, for sure. Um, my question is that... It's a two-part question. Okay. Is Simone Biles the best? Because she's the most decorated, but is she the best? Well, let me tell you. Um, because last week when everyone was talking about Tom Brady being the GOAT, <laughs> right. someone had posted or tweeted, I don't have the exact tweet, basically that the U.S. gymnasts or the National Gymnastics Committee or whoever, they had to basically tell Simone Biles she can't do certain things because no one else could even attempt them. And if they... If other gymnasts did attempt them, sure. they would get hurt. So if she did certain um, moves, whatever they're called, and landed them, sure. she would get point less points than if she did easier moves because right. they don't want other people trying to be as good as her. So that's, that's kind of my question is I think that objectively she's the most explosive and athletic and uh, impressive individual gymnast we've ever seen but i think that because of that she's also not the most beloved does that make sense that makes sense she doesn't have she doesn't have the um i don't know what the word i'm looking for i get she was she was never the darling that those other girls were and that's by no fault of her own she's just so dominant that there was never like the the uh I don't even know how to describe like, You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she's not... The key. Well, listen, I think if we had had an Olympics last year, we that might have been a different story. She's sure. training now. They're Allegedly, they're doing this Olympics in Japan. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's going to happen. But I th- I do think she's a darling. No, I mean, she is I mean, a darling. She's just almost too... Like you just said, though, she's almost too good for the sport. Right. Because the things that she do does is so... Uh, it's so insane. Yeah. But she's also so explosive that she like lacks a certain elegance. But that, again, that's not her fault. It's because she's so much better than everybody yeah. else. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, I love her. And I think... I, I mean, I just loved to read that she is so good. They basically had to dumb down the, the judging. Mm-hmm. 
because they didn't want other people to attempt the things that she can do. That's how good she is. So, you know, love her. She's the goat. She should have been in the middle of that uh, painting. Other, Let's talk about other females that should have been on that painting. I keep getting lipstick on this mic. Um, <laughs> That's what we're going to change the segment name to. <laughs> lipstick on the mic. That sounds dirty. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about other female athletes. Obviously, Serena and Venus. Serena and Venus Williams, for sure. Uh, you have to put uh, um, Steffi Graf in the mix. Yes, for and Chrissy Everett. Chrissy Everett, for sure. Um, um, Navratilova yeah. has to be in there. Who else? Annika Sorenstam is definitely a really good one. She's probably the greatest women's golfer of all time. And then those soccer, uh, forgive me, I don't know all the names. Oh, yeah, the, all, of the, all of the soccer. I mean, there's been, honestly, dozens of, of women's soccer players over the last 20 years since they won that first World Cup in 98 that have yeah. been incredibly memorable. Mia Hamm, Brain Chastain, and all the way up through Alex Morgan, Megan uh, Rapino. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, of good ones. I'm trying to think of some other ones. I mean... Women's basketball has had a tremendous amount of impactful players. Brianna Stewart has to be up there from UConn. Maya Moore has to be up there. The pioneers of, of women's basketball, like uh, Cheryl Miller, has to be up there. Leslie. Lisa Leslie. Leslie yeah. Lisa Leslie, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cynthia Cooper, for sure. Well, I hope whoever painted the goat painting redoes it with some ladies because they deserve some props. Uh, for sure. Say. For sure. Absolutely. Uh, yesterday on the show, we had uh, Megan Harrington and Chris Redpath on the show, and we were talking about The House That Rob Built, which is the excellent documentary about Robin Selvig and the University of Montana women's basketball uh, program and the way he built it. And uh, Megan said an interesting kind of kick line. She said, this is a, a documentary about a man who pioneered women's sports with young ladies from reservations and ranches and I thought yeah. that was great because they were just recruiting from nothing but small town Montana and they were changing the sports landscape as we know it I'm excited to see that yeah it, yeah you know it'll it'll definitely be and uh it's definitely worth the watch it's an excellent um film but um I think that in Missoula we have a completely different comprehension of the equality that comes between men and women's sports because it's like I told the story on the show yesterday when my family first moved to Missoula in 1993 the Lady Girls were absolutely the biggest thing in town. Girls football had not won a national championship yet. They were still sort of kind of fledgling and building. And uh, men's basketball had a great tradition, but they'd only been in the NCAA tournament twice in the last 20 years. I mean, the women were draw, they were the biggest show in town. Like, if you got Lady Girls tickets, that was, that the, was thing. the thing. That was the thing. And I think it raised an entire generation of people, men and women, boys and girls, that really never even knew anything different. Like, I yeah. never knew that women's sports wasn't, like, a huge thing because the town I – I mean, we were six years old when I moved right. here. The town I grew up in, the biggest thing was the women's sports. The most famous people – like, I remember I got Greta Costa's autograph after a Lady Grizzly. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and then she went to the WNBA. It's amazing. Yeah. The other thing we got to note, too, when we're talking about the goats of women's sports, it's – I mean – well, first of all, to finish this story, Robin Selvig was on uh, Peter Christian's show this morning, and I know now we're promoting the competition, but Jeez. Peter Christian does a great job. And Robin told a story about uh, back in the mid-'90s when uh, a couple of loose-lipped, cocky radio guys said, well, I could put together a team of media guys that could destroy <laughs> the Lady Grizz. And Rob said, well, let's play it, and let's do it for money. Did they? Beat them by 40. The girls The beat girls the beat the... Yeah, okay. beat the Broadcasters by 40. I love it. Of course. It. That's I awesome. I think it's great. It's totally great. I'd love to see that again. I know. It's super, super, yeah, super that's funny. Cool. Um, but we also have to throw some of the track gals in there. I mean, Jackie oh, Joyner, yeah. Kersey, um, Flores Griffith Joyner. 
Flojo. Some of the latest ones, like Allison Felix, and uh, I mean, I know Marion Jones has had sort of a tainted reputation now because of the Balco scandal, but mm-hmm. she was still a tremendous athlete in her day. So, um, you're right. I, I I don't know. I don't think the intention of the artist was to be sexist. I don't by either, any but means. it is important to remember that. Important. Yeah. So speaking of amazing female athletes, sure. Um, Naomi Osaka beat Serena. Uh, at, in the semifinals at the Australian Open. Um, and it was a, I mean, it was like 6'4", six, 6'3". Six, so yeah. I wouldn't say it was a super close yeah. match, but man, watching them play was awesome. Is this a changing of the guard? That's what it, I want. Well, exactly. Is so, that the end of the Serena Williams? Is she going to get this close again? I don't know. So Naomi is 23 uh-huh. and Serena is 38 or 39. Yeah. And you know how I feel about people retiring. Sometimes it's time. Now... Here's a couple things that annoyed me. People are commenting on the fact that she's a mom now and that she should be focusing on being a mom or is the fact that she's a mom distracting and blah, blah, blah. Well, first she's 38, so let's just forget the mom thing. But are people saying that about men when they lose, when they have their families start growing? No. So that's my (laughs) (laughs) my first thing. Okay. Second. At the end of this match, I guess she put her hand over her heart and looked at everyone and sort of like gave an emotional mm-hmm. goodbye. Mm-hmm. And then during the post-match interview, she got really emotional. Yep. She didn't say she was retiring. She said she wouldn't even announce when she's retiring. Sure. So I don't know. Um, but she's, to me, one of the most amazing athletes of all time. Not she just because I love tennis, but I just think thinking about what they came from and what they became and what is definitely a more country club sport growing up in Compton Mm -hmm. and just becoming the most incredible athletes. Um, She is, she is the goat. Okay. I totally agree. I love Serena Williams. I thought it was a fascinating portion of body language to analyze. It is the chick who doesn't know sports, by the way. Uh, 1029 ESPN Missoula. Right here on Nuanez Now. We're also statewide. SWX Montana Television. Chick who doesn't know sports. Each and every Friday presented by the Iron Grizz. Serena is, I think, such a compelling athlete, not only for her awesome talent, but also because of her um, outward emotion. Mm -hmm. She is so... um, She's one of the easiest athletes to analyze because she doesn't hide anything. And I thought it was a very fascinating thing to watch her because almost always when she loses, which has been so rare, but almost always you can see the the trigger that is her being remotivated and restoking the fire. But when she, to me, when she when she shook Naomi Osaka's hand and then hugged her, and then everything after that, it seemed to me as if Serena Williams was closing the chapter, yeah. at least at the Australian Open. I don't think that it's over yet. I think she'll probably go on a tour here and probably play the rest of the think, majors, yeah. and she might win in one. But I think she'll play the year out, sure. and then I think she'll retire. And uh, good for her. I mean, she needs one more. To be the all-time leader so in, she may, in Grand Slam yeah, championships. Yeah, so she may do it to try and win, um, and she probably could do it. I don't know. Well, and that's the thing is, I just don't know if she she might walk away from being on the full tour. Right. Just I bet you she plays Wimbledon. I bet you she plays Wimbledon in the U.S. Open until she until she gets the record because she dominates at those two places yeah. so much. Yeah. I mean, the the four majors in tennis are so distinctly different. Like, I I, I highly doubt she plays the French Open ever no. again after this year because the clay is just so clay is awful. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, God bless Serena. I don't even know. Okay, take that out. <laughs> okay, Tim Tebow, retiring from his. Epic baseball career. 
Epic. Yeah, that's one <laughs> word for it. So he has decided to, um, yeah, retire, and I think that's a good thing. I don't really, I didn't even know he was playing baseball until I started doing research for today's show. So see ya, Tim. Go to seminary or whatever. <laughs> so you're a Tim Tebow hater? Oh, yeah. Why? I don't know. Same reason I hate Tom Brady. Oh, man. But t- Tim Tebow and Tom Brady are so Tim much Tim Tebow different. just annoyed me that whole like couple seasons that he was like praying on the side of the sidelines and just being Tim Tebow. I just couldn't <sighs> deal. Tim Tebow has so much more humanity and so much more authenticity than Tom Brady. Great. We've been, get, we've been getting killed, by the way, for hating on Tom Brady. Really? I did not know that so many people love Tom Brady. We get texts about it on the show line almost daily. Do you hate Tom Brady as much as me? Absolutely. Oh, wow. Well, Absolutely. Sorry, guys. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, Tom Brady lacks all of the elements that I look for in the characters and sports that I like to talk about, analyze, and write about. He has no yeah. vulnerability. He has no... Uh, tragic trend he has no there's no like fall from grace and then rise back up he's just was, he's just a little cheater that's gotten away with everything his yes. entire life and he's never had to pay any sort of repercussions for it and it's just phenomenal um he's supposed to have knee surgery this week so, tom brady is yeah so fingers crossed they mess it up they won't. i mean are you kidding me <laughs> he's gonna go to the greatest doctor in the history of the planet also i did want to touch on this this isn't that big of a deal but people were up in arms about him throwing that trophy across the um I guess the I missed boats. that. I think I was so, so disgusted in the results of the Super Bowl, I just right. turned it well, off. Well, he got he got buzzed on like a half a sip of tequila, and then um, <laughs> when he hasn't drank in five years, he's eating his sweet potato toast. Right. He didn't lay a base. He's got a carbo load, um, and he threw the the trophy across to another boat, and people were up in arms about it. And I just have to say two things about that. One, he is unfortunately, a really good quarterback. So I don't think he was going to mess up that throw, even though he had a little buzz going. So everyone can relax. Two, have you seen what hockey players do to their trophy? Right. They carry it around and drink. Right. I bet uh, they pee in it. I bet someone has done things to that trophy. I can't say on the air. So everyone needs to relax. Okay. And I don't even like Tom Brady, but I don't like people getting upset over that kind of stuff. Right. Rant over. Okay. What else you got? Um, I do have... <laughs> How do we even get to Tom Brady? What are we talking about something else? I don't, I don't even know where the standards are. He just started. always is there. He's, he okay. is always I there. I have a feel-good story to close out with. Oh, yeah. You were hating on Tim Tebow. That's right. We oh, have yeah. to finish this point about Tim Tebow. What? Do we have to finish this point oh, about Tim okay. Tebow? Tim Tebow is so much different than Tom Brady. Tim Tebow has never been the entitled athlete. If you want to know the the impetus of the, I mean, first of all, I understand people's hesitancy to embrace somebody that uh, exploits themselves via their religious beliefs in a public manner. That's that seemed to become uh, taboo in today's society. That's fine. I understand the uncomfortable nature of that. What people got to understand is, if you want to truly analyze Tim Tebow, you have to listen to the Boston Globe podcast Gladiator about Aaron Hernandez. And it talks intrinsically about the University of Florida football program and the enablement that went on at the University of Florida football program and how Urban Meyer was recruiting really bad characters from across the country. And then they were getting away with, in some cases, quite literally murder. And because of that, though, he needed a golden boy to shield everything from 
all of the bad things that were happening. Mm-hmm. And so they found the golden boy in Tim Tebow, the local kid from Jacksonville, Florida. They put him on a pedestal. They made him into the greatest hero in the history of college football. They exploited his religious beliefs to win over everybody in the South that's obsessed mm-hmm. with the religious right. And then they made this kid into this deified character that he was a good player. He was a great player in college, but he never had the talent to fill, to live up to it. And so then people considered him a failure at the pro level because he was overrated the entire time. And at the end of the day, it had never anything to do with Tim Tebow. They were using him as a smokescreen to for not okay. for, to, 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 to cover up Aaron Fernandez getting in bar fights every weekend. So this is such a great... This is so great because last night I had um, a glass of wine or two with my friend and her husband. And Carolyn we has a hard time counting. Or Listen, it was <laughs> National Wine Drink Wine Day. It was my holy day. I mean. Okay. So you actually okay. were more like Tim Tebow than you ever thought. So Exactly. I was com- taking communion over and over. <laughs> okay. So we had this discussion about what if you... We were talking about Michael Vick and Aaron Hernandez and Antonio Brown and all of these, you know, guys, problematic people. Sure. And my friend said, what if you you got a team of all really good people? Like, I'm talking like the Tim Tebow's, like sure. the, the people that are have yep. never gotten in trouble. They yep. are good players. They are not yep. Tom Brady's. They yep. are not yep. Jim McMahon's, yep. but they are really good football players. And you made a team of... Yep. Really good people, like the Harlem Globetrotters sure. of football. So, what's the question? Do you think they would be successful not no. at winning? No. I'm not saying at winning. I'm they would, saying they would not be successful at winning. That's the no, dirt, no, no. I know the ugly, they it's the ugly truth. No, of America but would they make accept. money? Would, would they make money? Would the team make money with jerseys, with merch, as the kids say, with? Um, feel good promotions. If they were hmm. good human beings, I'm not saying all football players are bad, so please don't at me, okay? For sure. I'm saying there are some bad seeds. What if we took and made this like really good, um, you know, like a good group of guys that are just out to help the world? What do you think? It's Chicken Doesn't Know Sports, 1290 ESPN Missoula. <laughs> You're reiterating, I don't know sp- SWX Montana Television. Um, this is a great question. We could do a whole radio segment on this. Well, let's maybe stay I tuned. I think that the dirty truth of football is twofold. One, people love to analyze the bad behavior of other humans because it makes them feel better about themselves. But the NFL has not lost a single viewer or a single fan because of all of the outrageous and outlandish and horrible things that their players engage in in personal conduct off the field. Mm-hmm. If anybody actually cared about domestic violence or drunk driving or drug use or murder. Or, or, or murder, the NFL wouldn't have just exponentially growing ratings. Everybody likes to sit there and and analyze it and, and critique it and uh, talk poorly about it. Nobody turns off the NFL on Sundays. Nobody. They all still I, watch it. I get it. that. I'm just saying. The, like- others, the other dirty truth is that football is an unbelievably violent sport. And to play in the NFL, particularly to play defense in the NFL, everybody thinks about football from the quarterback perspective. That's the easiest position to analyze. To play offensive line or defensive line or linebacker in the NFL, you truly have to be mentally unstable. Well, because you've been hit in the head a million there's, times. There's so. hundreds of guys in the NFL, though, that literally could not exist in society unless they had a job as an NFL football player because they're that wired that violently. Yeah. And I think that's why football is an amazing thing because it helps guys actually have a positive life. I mean, 
getting hurt, getting injured, and all of these things is not necessarily the greatest thing in the world, but it's a lot better than being in prison. Totally. It's a lot better than... Um, you know, having no real future or no real opportunity to emerge from how you grew up. But, I mean, to answer your question, (laughs) if being moral and smart and good and all of that resulted in winning and resulted in popularity, Stanford would win a lot more and they'd be a lot more popular. But they're not. There's a reason that Cal and Stanford suck. <laughs> That's it. They don't have enough They don't have enough dudes. They don't have enough dudes. I mean it's like the it's like the the, the famous, the infamous Miami teams of the late eighties. Those teams are gonna just destroy any of I mean it goes. It goes. The, this all came to a uh, breaking point in the late '80s and early '90s when Miami and Notre Dame were both still independent, and they had their series. And Keith Jackson famously pinned it as the Catholics versus the convicts. I remember that. And then when Miami just dismantled Notre Dame, Notre Dame's never been back. They've never been back. It's been 35 years, and I think that everybody learned that the convicts. Y- y- you have to have some edge. You just. You just do. I, I get that. I'm not talking about winning. I'm talking about making money because sure. they don't have to win. I mean, it would be cool if they did. But right. I, I mean, listen, guys, I'm looking for investors. <laughs> I'm going to start a football team of all good people without Tim Tebow. I don't know why Tim Tebow bugs me. He you just wanna, does. You want to know what Americans care about when it comes to football? What? Winning. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's how you make money. If, oh. you, if your team, if you got together all these marketable, wholesome guys... You know, Peyton Manning and yeah. all these guys. If they won, you'd make a lot of money. If they didn't, you wouldn't. That's it. Okay, well, we'll see about that. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I can't wait. Next week, I want you to come armed with your roster of the most okay. wholesome potential football players. Oh, okay, I have homework. All right. I can't wait to see like who is your middle linebacker and stuff. This is going to be classic. I don't even know. I, I, I know help. you don't. I'm going to come with my convict team. Okay. And my team and my team is going to okay. be the greatest team set in the history of football. <laughs> All right, we're going to have a little fantasy football situation. Uh, actually, there are some guys that you could, you could, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, of pretty squeaky clean skill player guys like like Marcus Allen, Jerry Rice. Like, you'd have a pretty good team in terms of the guys that touch the ball. My team's just going to kill your team because all the murderers. guys. I mean, because, like, Morris <laughs> Taylor's a bad person. He's a bad person. He's been in jail for most of his I life. I already know after you're going to have Michael Vick, Antonio Brown. Oh, man. See, those guys aren't even close to the baddest of the bad. Really? I mean, can you bring someone? Ray back Lewis might have killed somebody at the Super Bowl, and then he went on Just, to win another Super Bowl. You mean like when? In the late nineties. Oh wow! I got to do. I some mean, Google. there's a lot of there's a lot a lot a lot of bad dudes I can get on my team, and my team will be damn good. I promise All you. All right, well. It's on. I love it. Fantasy football draft on a chick who doesn't know sports. The, <laughs> the convicts versus the squeaky clean boys next week. Carolyn, this has been awesome. Appreciate the discourse. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon. It is the chick who doesn't know sports presented by the Iron Grizz American Bistro. Go check out the Iron Grizz American Bistro at the University of Montana golf course today. Grizz greats. Coming at you on Nuanas Now, 1029 ESPN Missoula, statewide, SWX Montana Television, right after this. Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more.
Listen to, you're listening to Nuanez now on 1029 ESPN Missoula as well as statewide SWX Montana Television. Thanks for riding with us on a Friday. We continue to roll out Grizz Greats. This week, Brent Pease. He was the quarterback's coach for the 1995 National Championship Grizzlies. Then he had an epic rise through the coaching ranks. Uh, stops all along the way in the SEC, the ACC, the Pac-12. Now he's back at his alma mater. And he's the one guy from that 95 staff that still is at Montana, or I guess has then returned to Montana. Here's an excerpt from our interview with assistant head coach for the Grizz football team currently, Brent Pease. When Bert was there, Dave was there, I think Brian Yacht was there, I looked and fortunately I think I was coaching quarterbacks at the time, but everybody in that room, there were like two losses from their sophomore year on. And they were all MVPs of their, you know, from Hawaii, from Oregon, from Montana. That was the amazing thing. But with the, those guys competing, and Bert, Bert competed, and Bert was a good teammate. I know eventually he didn't totally win it, but you know, he won some games because Dave was injured down down the stretch at times, and Bert won some big games. I know Montana State was one of them when she played in. Bert had his chance to play a game, and uh, I think we started off actually with David against South Dakota State. We're down, and of course, you know, he mounts that. I think we're down 35 to three in the fourth quarter, and he mounts a comeback, and we win. You know, so that kind of starts setting that little tone for what what he obviously accomplished throughout his career. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. I am Coulter Nuanez. You can find Grizz Greats on all your various podcasting platforms. My favorite is Spotify, whatever you like to use. Grizz Greats is available there. Please rate, review, subscribe. And Grizz Greats is proudly presented by First Security Bank of Missoula and Blackfoot Communications. This week's Grizz Greats episode features Brent Pease, a former University of Montana quarterback who was an assistant coach on that 1995 team and has circled back around to be one of the only people that was involved in the 1995 national championship season that then is now again at Montana. He has been the associate head coach and wide receivers coach, including the passing game coordinator on Bobby Houck's staff since 2018. The 56-year-old is from Moscow, Idaho. He played at Montana from 1983 to 1986 and was a record setter for the Grizzlies during his playing days. He was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings in the 11th round of the 1987 draft. He was released and picked up by the Houston Oilers, for whom he started three replacement games during the strike shortened 1987 season. He spent another year in Houston behind Warren Moon, and in 1991 he became the first quarterback selected in the World League of Amateur Football draft by the Birmingham Fire. Pease played professional football from 1987 through 1993, while also coaching at the University of Montana from 1991 until 1995 on Don Reed's staff. When Don Reed retired, Brett Pease became the offensive coordinator under Mick Dennehy from 1996 through 1998, which then launched him on a phenomenal career that had some of the great trajectory in the history of the University of Montana football program in terms of guys that used to be with the program. Pease spent time in Northern Arizona in 99 and 2000 before becoming the offensive coordinator at Kentucky. He also was the OC at Baylor and Boise State and Florida and Washington before then becoming the OC at UTEP for two seasons before returning to his alma mater. Brett Pease 
had a big influence on coaching Dave Dickinson during his time at the University of Montana, as well as some receivers and running backs as well. He worked with a lot of different skill positions. He was sort of a utility assistant, his first stint at his alma mater, and certainly an influential guy on the 1995 Grizz National Championship run. Without further ado, Grizz Greats featuring current associate head coach for the University of Montana football team, former Grizz quarterback, and an assistant on the 1995 National Championship team, Brent Pease. We, we had a really good breakthrough in 92, and then, of course, you know, David came along. And when David came along, um, Dickinson, it was, uh, you know, he, he started to set the standard and winning and, and, you know, what the position. And then there's a lot of good players here, you know, uh, the Mike Earhart's, the Joe Douglas's. Um, and I think the biggest development part, though, and you can look on both sides of the ball, offense or defense, especially what Coach Sowers was doing at the defense at that time. But, but really the offensive line became a, such an integral part because of guys that were so big and physical. And, you know, we were able to run the ball, pass the ball, and they just had a really, really good, um, I guess, you know, group or depth over the next three to five years of kids that, you know, had great athleticism, size, and attitude. When Brad Lebo graduated and then there's a quarterback battle, I think a lot of people expected Brent Wilberger to win that battle. But then all of a sudden, Dave Dickinson's the one that comes out on top. But do you remember uh, the kind of the replacement of, of that position and, and what that quarterback battle was like? Yeah, you know, Bert was a um, Bert was a really talented kid out of Oregon. Good arm, good size, good athletic ability. And so the one thing to jump ahead a little bit, I do remember – um, when Bert was there, Dave was there, I think Brian Yacht was there, I looked and, you know, fortunately I think I was coaching quarterbacks at the time, but everybody in that room, there were like two losses from their sophomore year on. And they were all MVPs of their, you know, from Hawaii, from Oregon, from Montana. There's one other kid, too, I can't think real quick. But that was the amazing thing. But with the, those guys competing, and Bert, Bert competed, and Bert was a good teammate. I know eventually he didn't totally win it, but, you know, he won some games because Dave was – injured down down the stretch at times and Bert won some big games um i know montana state was one of them which he played in but you know Bert had his chance to play a game and uh, i think we started off actually with david against south dakota state we're down and of course you know he mounts a, i think we're down 35 to three in the fourth quarter and he mounts a comeback and we win you know so that kind of starts setting that little tone for what what he obviously you know, accomplished throughout his career. And then um, Bert had the chance the next week against Oregon, which is, you know, a Pac-12 team, tough situation. And, you know, it was it was tough. And we were still still really in the game, but, you know, he wasn't playing great. Of course, David came in and, and made plays. We didn't end up winning the game, but we were in it, had a chance to really go ahead at one time. But I think back in the team, Oregon had it, that team too. They were – they were pretty salty that year, and, and um, you know, but that's kind of what we, we knew at that time David was the guy. But, you know, much different now than really back then. Bert was a kid that was like, you know, he never wavered, kept working hard, wasn't into this, you know, and kids weren't back then into this transfer situation. And he ended up, you know, graduating from here and, and still having some key victories in his career and developed, you know, as a good player. 
coaching those guys when you were such a young coach that was, I mean, for in a lot of ways still playing, what was that part like? I mean, you, you could probably show them as much as you could teach them back at that point. Yeah, you know, I definitely could get in and warm up and throw it, throw with them. And I mean, now I can't, now I can't hardly throw football. <laughs> but um, you know, yeah, it was. You know, I think you know, just kind of the relationship uh, and uh, development part at that time. You know, doing things, the show, demonstrating, whatever. I mean, it's yeah, it's that's all there to challenge them in some ways. You know, and and how you know, can you do this and. And just really, I think, you know, film study-wise, you know, obviously as you learn, learn as you go along, you're, <laughs> you lose your, your physical skills, but I, hopefully your mind gets stronger. And I think that's kind of what I've learned through football, the, you know, over the, over the years, that you, that's how you got to start to, I guess, progress and teach and show kids, you know, try to develop their football knowledge. Because I think even nowadays, in high school, kids, you know, they don't do that. I mean, you find good athletes that play all these sports, but they don't necessarily learn the conceptual part of things. You know, they can run and catch and, and tackle and do all that stuff. But, um, you know, you got to learn kind of the ins and outs and understand defenses. And that's, I think, one of the things just in general with high school kids when they come to college is they don't, they don't have that grasp because obviously they don't get time with their coaches as much as, what kids in college have now, you know, and going back and teaching them more fundamentals, more, you know, the, the football intelligence part of the game. You know, nowadays in high school, they're all in these seven-on-seven seven and, and self-promotion and all this stuff. So That's the part you love, right, Coach? <laughs> Sounds like that's your that's your high point yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, you, 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 you figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I want to get into this 95 season because, you know, 93 is a playoff game. You know, it's a one-point loss to Delaware as well, chronicled. 94, you go pretty deep in the playoffs, actually, but Dave gets hurt, and you kind of go, well, what might have been if, you know, if, if, if Dickinson was playing? So then in 95, you go into that season. Uh, I think there's the game against Washington State that actually ends up being a loss, but I think a lot of confidence drawn from that game from, from the guys we've talked to. And you kind of roll through the Idaho game being the one sort of exception, but blowing out Boyd. Boise State really early in that season and then getting on a roll and in through the playoffs. I mean, what was the experience of 1995 like from, from your perspective now that you've been a, you know on the staff four years or so? Yeah, and I kind of, you know, I, I'll tell you to be honest, I'd have to go back and kind of research some things to remember everything, but there are certain points I think I remember about the season. I do know going in that this, this team, you know, and I look on that wall in there because that's, you know, they're the ones on our meeting room is that, they were a very, I think that they were groomed finally. It all grown to be, it was just that timing thing, a good mixture of leadership and chemistry and seniors and juniors and talent. And, you know, you had the kids like Joe Douglas, Mike Earhart, that all kind of have come together and, and you know, and, and positions really all over, even, even on defense, you know, like Crebo and that. So, you know, Idaho was a game there. They had a very talented team at that time. You know, their coaches were good. They knew how to throw the ball also. And that was, you know, a team that, you know, we played well. We just, you know, couldn't stop them and they couldn't stop us and they scored a little bit more. So um, that that's the thing I do remember, I guess, about the Idaho game. But just all these kids in general, of uh, they they never, they, they worked hard. They never faltered even when, when something was down like that. And, Still, at one stage, you know, and Coach Reed obviously kept us all programmed that, you know, hey, 
we want to win it. And we obviously want to win our state rival game and then continue our string with that. And then, you know, when, when the time gets in the playoffs, we'll make our run. And, and, and at that time, I think the playoff system was different because we knew we could get home games. And, you know, who wants to play here in, in December, obviously. And all that kind of fit into our favor. I'm interested in that national championship game through your you know, view as an offensive guy and an offensive coach because that Marshall team, especially that front seven, was as big and as strong as you could imagine. I mean, I remember watching, you know, as I have watched that game again a couple of times, I'm, I'm still amazed and impressed at how strong they were up front, really got after Dave, especially in that first half, for a team that had been absolutely rolling, scoring 40, 70 points a shot. What was it like to get into a game where, wow, you really were going up against it from an offensive perspective? Well, I think one thing we, we had to adjust on was that, you know, going into playoffs, you know, we had scored, what, 70, I think, against Stephen F. Austin and 49, I think, maybe Eastern, against Georgia Southern and, and 45 or something against East, Eastern Kentucky. I mean, and, you know, and shutting people out. So we had kind of walked through the playoffs pretty good. But then we knew, you know, one, a lot of things would be neutralized. They had good players. We're at their home stadium. Um you know, like you said, our matchups were probably not in our favor in some way. But we knew, you know, we knew Dave, you know, could do his thing. We could give him time. He had his little magic. And he obviously, he obviously knew where to put the ball because he's always one of the most accurate guys throwing the ball. But, um, you know, Matt Wells had a great game. I mean, I know Mike Earhart had a great game, especially on the slant catch he had. And, um, you know, we, I think we had a tough time running the ball, but we did pop a few here and there. And it kept us, you know, not totally balanced, maybe per- percentage-wise, but at least effectiveness-wise. So, um, and, and, hey, our defense did a great job of shutting them down and even keep it close. And then we had a, you know, like we say, I'm, I do remember saying, we have a chance at the end to make a drive. You know, we just got to get in position. And, you know, Mike caught that slam on fourth and, I think it was fourth and two. And we had a couple more plays. David might have scrambled on one, but you know, and then Andy hit the kid. So, just knowing that you have the opportunity, if you do have a chance at the end, because you have the guy at the controls that can lead you on that drive. I mean, how much confidence does that give you as a coach? And just overall, what was it like coaching a guy like Dave Dickinson? Because it seems like he overcame every obstacle that was put in front of him, and then went out on on a higher note than maybe any Grizz ever. Yeah, obviously the best that's come out of here probably. But, I mean, one, he's very coachable at that time, and especially as, you know, he's probably carried that over to be the coach he is now in in Canada. But he's, you know, whatever it was called, you know, and I mean, whatever the play was, you know, you always knew that, you know, it could get executed because, one, he was so smart. He always knew that if that first option – was never there. That he always knew the second and the third option, what to do with the football. So he's one of those kids that you know he makes you look really good, you know. And you just kind of sometimes it's like step back, get out of the way, and just let them do their thing. And he he was one of those guys, you know. He 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 had control at all times, and he had control with himself. He had control with the team. He had control with the you know the guys around him because of being the leader and competitor that he was. With that win and that first national championship in the history of the program, 
What what was it like after that? And and it's obviously a change for you as you know, Coach Reed sort of surprisingly retires a couple months after that, and then you go ahead and become the offensive coordinator, and you kind of take over that position, but you take it over as a defending national championship uh, national champion. What was that like? Well, I'll tell you one thing I like. It was a, it was a fun ride home. It was a fun time in Missoula that night. I bet it was. You got any recollection of that night? Oh, yeah. I remember everything. Yeah, I remember being downtown at Stocks. Oh, yeah. I remember that. They kept it open late. You know, so it, it was fun. I mean, you know, we, we partied and had fun. and um, But, you know, like you said, I think the kids got – you know, they regained focus at some point in time. And, you know, it was, uh, I think coach Reed did catch us off guard a little bit by the fact retiring. And, but, you know, once coach Denny, stepped in there, then, you know, we knew what we, we had to do. There's still some things that were still in place. So, uh, we knew we still had good players. You know, I think for me personally, you know, taking over and really now David being gone, but I knew Brian was a good quarterback. Yeah. And I think the challenge of, pushing him and, you know, and, and really him coming back the next year and, and having, you know, an undefeated season and going back to that thing was, you know, you know, a testament to really all the kids that we had in place. And, you know, we had a good, obviously they had recruited real well and, and we had a good string of, of kids. When you talk about, or when you look at, I guess, the program now that the University of Montana is, and you've been all over, I mean, Baylor, Boise State, Florida, Washington, on down the line, you come back to the University of Montana in 2018, what has the program been as a result of that national championship, or what was that the starting point of in your mind? Well, I think it was definitely a starting point, uh, because uh, we were probably a little bit unknown at the time, but... You know, it definitely going back the second year kind of brought more recognition. And then, obviously, when Coach Glenn was here, you know, those guys winning it in 2001. And then Coach, you know, when Coach Houck had him there, what I want to – you guys need to help me with this one, but three or four times, you know, mm-hmm. just going. I mean, now they knew Montana had that kind of that mojo, you know. And, and you know, especially from a team from out west. Because I always thought that, you know, teams out west, I mean, you know, that that's – there's not as many teams to go and compete for. And, the, you know, once the playoffs got situated back east, you know, back in Tennessee and um, and that, I mean, I obviously I followed them from, you know, even when they were in Chattanooga, I went down to the games because I was at Kentucky at the time and and watched them when they beat Furman and, you know, cut the goalpost down. But I think, you know, it developed uh, definitely within the state of Montana, it developed, you know, the recognition point of consistency and championship standard. And, you know, just the energy that it brought to the stadium, the state, you know, the kids that played in this state and, you know, and, and continued with good recruiting. There you go, Grizz Greats. Brent Pease. Need something to do this weekend? Well, Lost Trail has something for the whole family. Beginner runs to expert-only terrain. If you're looking to up your ski or snowboard game, they also have excellent snow sports schools with certified instructors. Directions, trail maps, lodging info, conditions, and much more. LostTrail.com. Mark your calendars. Their four-day season pass sale starts March 4th and runs through March 7th. You can find all that information at LostTrail.com as well. Lost Trail. Go for the snow. Hi, this is Kim from the Wingate in Missoula. If you need a break from the everyday same old, same old, 
We want to be your home away from home. With comfortable rooms, a great breakfast, and a super fun indoor water park, the Wingate of Missoula is the ideal place for a quick getaway without having to go away. Let us give your family a little quality time together or ask us about our birthday parties. Work like an adult, play like a child, and sleep like a baby at the Wingate of Missoula. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or of course you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus. 